Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert. They're up and running again. So smooth. So sweet. Splendid. Succinct. Just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff and joining me in just a second are my action colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. And together, the three of us will take you through the entire Premier League slate for this upcoming weekend. And we'll also shed some light on our favorite bets in La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, Ligue 1, and then talk about our favorite underdogs in the Premier League this weekend, plus our favorite bets in England's top flight as well. But there's only one place to start. That's at Stamford Bridge. A Sunday, 11.30 a.m. kickoff. Chelsea, minus 185 favorites against Manchester United, who are 5-1. to one. The draw is plus 3.30. We do need to say right off the jump, we are recording this before the Champions League matches because of the holiday coming. So please keep that in mind. But we will do our best to break down every match as best we can. This is going to be quite an interesting uh, spectacle. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is out of Manchester United. Michael Carrick is in as the caretaker manager. This is his first Premier League match. I don't think there's too much we'll be able to glean from uh, what Man United does against Villarreal in Tuesday's match in the Champions League. Donny van de Beek is starting. Jadon Sancho is starting. So perhaps uh, Carrick will start to work those guys into the rotation a lot more than uh, Solskjaer did. But other than that, I don't really think you can be betting Manchester United just because they have a good performance against a team that is a lot worse than Chelsea. So no matter what happens in uh, Spain on Tuesday, let's pump the brakes on United. Anthony, do you think there's any betting value on either of these three outcomes and over and under? Uh, How are you playing the Sunday headliner? Yeah, it feels like I've been sitting out a lot of the headliners, which is kind of lame. But in this case, I'm passing here as well. Uh, You know, if Villarreal you know, has a, has a bad performance and United looks really impressive under uh, Michael Carrick. Uh, hopefully the line moves accordingly and I can get in on some Chelsea here because I agree. United's problems are much deeper than Ole. Uh, they're going to need a, you know, a real top class manager to come in and sort out kind of the personnel misfits that they have. There's various issues, which we've discussed at length on this podcast. It seems like every week we do like a mea culpa on Manchester United, or at least I do. Uh, and their issues aren't going to get solved. And if you're playing a team like Chelsea, who is poised to, uh, you know, rip you apart, you know, they've been playing much better the last month, which will, you know, which was featured in the uh, CBS sports article. They had an exclusive with Tuchel and they said, uh, you know, after the loss to Juventus, when they lost to city, they realized their XG numbers were worse. They realized certain things in their buildup were bad. Uh, they wanted to address them. They said, you know, Tuchel attributed some of it to hangover from the Euros, various things that led to Chelsea kind of having a little bit of a scuffle. And, you know, we tried to fade them following that scuffle and they started playing way better. Now, granted, the competition wasn't great, but overall here, the number looks about right to me. I show a tiny bit of value on Chelsea, but not enough to lay the goal here. 
Uh, I think everybody will be piling on United and that's fine, but I will be passing here. Yeah, I think I'm waiting to see where this market moves. I like Chelsea minus one uh, at even money or better. This United defense just still, you can't trust them. Rafael Varane's been hurt. Harry Maguire's terrible right now. You're not going to trust the rest of those guys. So the question to me is how many goals can Manchester United score against this defense? It's probably not many. That's at least what the numbers suggest. So I think Chelsea, if they can get two or three, you're looking at a pretty good chance to to catch this bet. And I think that there's a pretty good chance that they do just that. Uh, They should dominate this game, I think, from start to finish. So if there is a bet to be made, I like Chelsea minus one or even, you know, minus one and a half. If you want to have a little bit more fun, BJ, what about you? Yeah, I'm agree with Anthony. This is kind of a pass for me. I have Chelsea projected at minus 164. And like we've talked about at length, it seems like every single episode about Chelsea negative aggression, both offensively and defensively, you know, plus 26 actual goal differential versus 12.94 expected goal differential. But with that being said, a lot of what Chelsea's overperforming and XG problems really have come out of different formations. When they're playing out of Tuchel's traditional 3-4-2-1, they're averaging 2.34 expected goals per 90 minutes and only allowing 0.78 expected goals per 90 minutes. The Tuchel has messed around with a 3-5-2 and a 5-3-2, and it really just hasn't worked because Chelsea has is only averaging a little over one expected goal when playing out of those formations. Like you mentioned, I mean, even though uh, Olga and Solskjaer is gone, it, their problems are not gone at all. They're going to be without Varane, Pogba, Cavani, Greenwood, Maguire, and potentially Luke Shaw uh, is questionable well, as well. So uh, very thin at the back, playing against one of the best offensive teams uh, in England right now. And they're playing out of a 4-2-3-1 today against Villarreal. If they play out of that again, that means it's going to be probably Bruno Fernandez, maybe Jaden Sancho, whoever, but they're providing nothing defensively in terms of help. So basically just leave Scott McTominay and Fred on islands. And then with uh, Harry Maguire also being out and Novarane, it's a really bad defense. So I just don't really know how Manchester United is going to cope in this match. Uh, I agree with you, Michael. If I, there is something I'm going to play in this one, I'm going to chase a, a Chelsea alt line, something like a minus one and a half or maybe a minus two to get some juicy odds because I could see this match going similarly to how Man United's matches against Manchester City and Liverpool went earlier this season. So other than those alt lines, uh, it's a pass for me. Yeah, there's been a bit of a paradigm shift with Chelsea recently, and that that's kind of attributed to what BJ was mentioning with the formations and how they've been doing much better. Uh, that actually coincided with the Lukaku injury. So they've been playing kind of Havertz in a solo nine role. and Tuchel mentioned this in the interview. He said, look, we don't want to win games 1-0, 2-0 anymore. We think we we can score more than we did last season. And what happened with Chelsea down the stretch, they had a couple of 0-0s, a couple of 1-1s. And what we've seen is if you want to win a Premier League title, you need to be able to put up two, three-plus goals against the bad teams because you don't want to risk a fluke draw like what happened against Burnley. Uh, And we've seen Chelsea has been much more aggressive with leads this year than they were last year. I think that paradigm shift makes them a better favorite and probably less of a stone under team, which they were last year. Uh, But in this case, again, United seems about right in terms of the price. All right, let's move on. Saturday, 7.30 a.m. kickoff. Arsenal minus 230 favorites against Newcastle, who are plus 550 on the money line. The draw is plus 425. The Gunners are coming off a terrible loss to Liverpool last weekend, where they gave up almost four expected goals. It was a gut punch for this team, right? They they were looking really good. They were kind of trending up and then they ran into a team that's just much better than them. So I was hoping that as that game was going on, I was like, all right, maybe I'll be able to buy low again on Arsenal, which isn't something that you can do that often just because of their stature. But then I saw who they were playing and it's Newcastle. And it's, it's really tough to do that against, to be confident in this Newcastle team. We've said it 
once, but it bears repeating. This is a club full of players, coaches, backroom staff, everybody. Well, I guess the coaching staff is now knows they're there, right? Like with Eddie Howe, but the players certainly don't. Why would you go all out for this club when you are likely to be shipped out pretty soon? There's just too much tumult to get involved. Newcastle is now minus 150 to be relegated. They're three to one to finish dead last in the Premier League. I think the only way to bet this is taking an Arsenal blowout. Other than that, I'll stay away. BJ, how are you playing this one? Yeah, that was the most predictable Arsenal performance of all time. This is anybody who's a fan of Arsenal knows this is exact, exactly what they do. They get your hopes up over a stretch of a couple of weeks and then they just curb stomp all your hopes uh, with performance against a good team. But with that being said, as far as Newcastle is concerned, we were wondering what they were going to do with uh, Eddie Howe in charge. Uh, we were wondering if they were going to stay more defensive like they have been under Steve Bruce and the caretaker manager, or if they were going to play open like Eddie Howe's former teams have played in the past. And the answer was they're going to play a 3-4-3 and they're going to play open. But they were actually pretty good against Brentford. They were definitely the better team in that match. They won the expected goals battle 2.18 to 1.23, 35 touches in Brentford's penalty area, 36 shot creating action. So it was a really good offensive performance uh and you know the stylistic change is pretty big you know switching from a a 5-3-2 to a 3-4-3 but the thing big thing about it is is Brentford was very clinical with the few big chances they had and that was typically how Brentford plays and for a Newcastle defense that's you know pretty much close to dead last in every single defensive category their defensive woes aren't going to get much better going forward. So now you're playing an Arsenal team that's more clinical in the final third, has better attacking players than Brentford does, and is averaging 1.92 expected goals per match at home this season. I'm going to chase an alt over here. Uh, I'm going to go over three and a half goals at plus 150. Because another big thing is that, you know, Newcastle is really bad versus pressure. But like we I mentioned last uh, episode, Arsenal hardly ever pressures. And they're not very good when they actually do because they're dead last in passes per defensive action. So uh, Newcastle's issues won't be exploited um, going forward. So uh, over three and a half goals at plus 150 is the play for me. Yeah, I think that. One thing we've, we're learning about this Arsenal team, too, is that they are like this is a young team for the most part. Right. They have a couple of older strikers, but the engine room. Right. This is a team that is going to go through some growing pains here and there, and they're likely to come against the much better competition. And I think that they are going to be able to pummel other teams like Newcastle because the talent gap will be wide enough. So, Anthony, I know you're going to try to make a case for the Magpies here. I do think that uh, that's a little insane, but this is betting, right? I am a little insane, uh, but what's insane is that I had friends texting me last week that Arsenal was a legitimate top four contender uh, heading into that Liverpool match. And, and I kind of laughed. I, I laughed at the message and then kind of gave out a little theory on why that's not really the case. And I'll have an article up on the Action Network, kind of my weekend recap on why I don't think they're even close to that level. The reality is they should pummel teams like Newcastle, a top four team who is a legitimate contender for a Champions League place would pummel a team like Newcastle or Watford. But Arsenal hasn't done that. They've scored at least or posted at least 1.5 non-penalty expected goals three times this season. It was against Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, and against Norwich City. They have been very mid-table-esque in their performances when they've played teams like Burnley, teams like Watford, where they're grinding out results. And you'd expect a team that was young and improving for their young players to continue to get better and post better numbers. But Odegaard hasn't really improved. Saka's numbers are very similar to last year. Emil Smith-Rowe has taken a step forward, but at the same time, Aubameyang and Lacazette's numbers are down. And so when you look at overall, this Arsenal attack does not have enough shots, does not have enough high quality chances for me to back them to lay, uh, to, you know, one and a half spread against a Newcastle team who 
Uh, we don't know if Eddie Howe will be on the sideline for this match at this current moment. We're recording on Tuesday. But if he is, there's got to be some kind of boost there. And I think Newcastle, if we're going to get any kind of performance out of them and they're going to show any kind of life, it's going to be in the next few weeks, early in the Eddie Howe era. And like BJ mentioned, Arsenal doesn't press particularly well. They're still vulnerable on the counter. They're due for some defensive regression based on their numbers. Ramsdale has been the best keeper in the Prem besides Mendy. I'm not buying that to continue. Uh, I want a better number here right now. Newcastle plus one and a half is minus 140. If I get 120, I'll be firing. So hopefully we get some Arsenal steam and I can get on Newcastle because I don't trust Arsenal to get margin. Yeah, uh, Aaron Ramsdale, man. Everybody owes that guy an apology. All right, another myself included. Yeah, everybody, like everybody who who's talked about him prior to that transfer, was wrong. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on to another London team. This is South London's team, Crystal Palace. They're plus one twenty home favorites against Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, who are plus two forty. The draw also plus two forty. This is ten a.m. on Saturday. It became pretty obvious, I think, pretty quickly to people who are really smart and intelligent like myself that this Crystal Palace team was a lot better uh, than the market realized early in the season. And I kept betting into them. They kept drawing. And now I'm starting to bear fruits of that labor. As one of my old school teachers used to say, you mustn't always reap. Sometimes you must sow. And I was sowing a lot with this Crystal Palace team. And now I am reaping a lot. And I'm going to continue to reap. Uh, They're plus 120. I think that's a pretty good number at home. Third best expected goals against. The fifth best expected goal differential per 90 in the Premier League. Plus, you're getting a nice sell-high spot on Aston Villa, who have been pedestrian at best for most of the season. Yes, new managers in, and they did look pretty good in a very low-event win over Brighton this past weekend, but I think a lot of people will be betting into that narrative, so you might even get a better number on Palace. I love Palace at this number. Any number, like plus money or better, is worth a bet to me. Give me the Eagles. Give me Patrick Vieira's revolution. Give me Connor Gallagher's flowing blonde hair in the midfield. And let's go Eagles up the Eagles, Crystal Palace. Don't look now, but this team could gate crash like top eight, top six when all said and done. BJ, are you joining me on the Palace party? No, I'm passing on this one and I'm kind of monitoring the Aston Villa line. If Crystal Palace gets steamed, I might play uh, Aston Villa plus half a goal if I can get a decent number on that. I mean, the reality is that Aston Villa really didn't do much offensively in Steven Gerrard's, you know, first match against Brighton, only 0.83 expected goals. Obviously they scored twice, but this is a, you know, a defense that has been really regressing, has not been playing well. They obviously played well against Brighton, who, you know, is a bottom five offensive team so far in the Premier League. But Crystal Palace offense, like they still have some issues like Christian Benteke, you know, he's not finishing at a very high rate. Like they're still, you know, near the bottom and expected goals for obviously their defense is very good. But if I can get a good price on Aston Villa in this one uh, with the new manager bounce, I think I have to do it. But other than that, it's a pass for me. Well, that is your loss because... Palace is going to be a a lot of fun to watch again, as they always are. Another team that's been fun to watch, unless you are me and hate them, Liverpool minus 390 favorites uh, against Southampton. This game is at Anfield, who are Southampton's plus 950 on the money line. The draw is plus 550. 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Uh, Southampton is due for some offensive regression. We beat that point home a lot on this podcast. They're underperforming their expected goals for by almost six goals. I don't know if that regression is going to come against Liverpool because well, Liverpool is probably going to score a ton here because Southampton is a team that loves to press. And I feel like that will play right into uh, Jurgen Klopp's men's hands. Uh, however, I will take a shot because I do think the Southampton team is, is a lot better than I thought they were going to be in the start of the season. 
Uh, my Southampton to be less at Christmas doesn't look like it's going to cash, but I'm willing to change my tune on teams. And I like the Saints here, a very small for fun bet on the money line for me. Anthony, up the Saints. Yeah, I love betting Southampton against Liverpool. I think I've done it every time these two teams have played for the last three years. Uh, I'm doing it again. It's all about Southampton's ability to play a high tempo, high intensity game with Liverpool and how that benefits them in this matchup. A lot of teams get overwhelmed by the pressure, get overwhelmed by the pressing machine that is Liverpool Football Club. Southampton will be very comfortable playing that up-tempo kind of style. Defensively, when Southampton have played against some of the bigger sides in the league this year, they've been pretty solid. Uh, They've been improved at the defensive end. We mentioned McCarthy regression on on the last episode when we bet the over in that game, and uh, he had two howlers, uh, which is kind of funny. But uh, Southampton still a team who is, you know, solidly mid table, but Liverpool is very overinflated in my numbers based on last performance. So you can find a plus one and a half at plus plus one fifteen, plus one twenty out there. That's where I'm going on this one. I think, like I mentioned, Liverpool probably wins this game. I just don't think they'll get margin. I do think Southampton will score here and Liverpool has some injury concerns up front. Uh, Roberto Firmino is out. Diego Jota is questionable. Jurgen said yesterday, unclear if he's going to play. He's definitely not going to play against Porto, it looks like, on Wednesday. We're recording this before the Champions League. Uh, so not really clear who the goal guy is going to be. Origi's out as well. So if it's just Salah and Mane, that definitely hurts the attack, even though they're both incredible. Uh, and even though Fabinho and Thiago are back, I think it's a, it's a good look here to sell high on Liverpool off of a huge, huge win against Arsenal last week. Whereas I think Arsenal was not stylistically ready for that matchup. Southampton has a better edge here and an ability to compete defensively. Yeah, I think we, we always mention about Liverpool, like their price is always going to be inflated, but they also win a lot. So it's, it's, it's a frustrating team to bet against, a team that I bet against a lot because of that conundrum. Uh, what are you going to do? But yeah, it's Saints are nothing for me. Don't look now. Norwich City, winners of two in a row, plus 250 home underdogs against our Wolves. Oh, woo! Plus 120 road favorites. The draw plus 235. Another 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Wolves are seventh in expected points at six overall. So this team is legitimately good. Bruno Lage, David Moyes is getting a ton of accolades for being one of the better managers in the Premier League season. Thomas Tuchel. Uh, Bruno Lage should be in this conversation too with the job he's done. Obviously, Patrick Vieira as well. I love Wolves on this number. I think it's crazy to be able to say this, but I think this is a sell high spot on Norwich City. Uh, So how about that? Uh, Dean Smith's Norwich City. They were a little lucky in their win uh, last weekend. And this is a good chance to bet against a team that is a team that I wish I could bet against all the time, but because their numbers just are always outrageous, I very rarely can. So give me Wolves plus 120. BJ, are you joining the pack? Yeah, this line doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, are we really <laughs> going to give Norwich credit after, you know, two wins against Brentford and Southampton where they lost the expected goals battle combined 3.4 to 1.9? I mean, it's they're, they're still one of the worst defensive teams in the Premier League. They're bottom three in shots per 90 allowed, big scoring chance allowed, box entries allowed, and non-penalty expected goals where they're allowing 1.78 per match. So I really don't know how they're going to stop Wolves in transition, like, uh, their Wolves is incredibly deadly. Like Wolves is incredible versus pressure as well. And they're really good at creating big scoring chances because they've already created 19 so far this season. You know, Dean Smith, obviously, you know, in the past, he was able to turn around Aston Villa's defense, which is one of the worst in the Premier League, you know, before the pandemic. And then afterwards, you know, they turned into a pretty good defensive outfit, but there were still problems, you know, this year. And if he's going to turn around, you know, Norwich's defense into somewhat respectable, it's going to take some time. Like it's not just going to happen overnight. So, 
I really don't know how Norwich is going to hang in this match. They're still dead last uh, offensively in non-penalty expected goal shots per 90 and box entries. But what's maybe the most shocking stat I found with Norwich, they've created three big scoring chances all season long. Three. We're, we're at 12 matches now. Uh, and Wolves is second best in the Premier League in big scoring chances allowed and fourth in shots per 90. So I think this line is an overreaction to Norwich winning two matches in a row, which I think is kind of crazy. Uh, I have Wolves projected at minus 109. So I agree with you. I love them at plus 115. I mean, and I don't really know where this line's going to go. I'm assuming it'll it'll move towards Wolves uh, at some point. So you might want to bet this one a little earlier. Uh, but, you know, these, these we do see recency bias as a thing in betting. And maybe it does kind of stay around this this range. Anthony. Are you going to make a three for three on Wolverhampton? Yeah, I am. Uh, minus 108 for me. Even game states, um, Wolves have been the fifth best team in the league this year. Uh, they've also been the seventh best team in the league at all game states when it's 11 on 11. Norwich dead last in both. I understand the new manager bounce. We cash bets on Norwich each of the last two weeks, I think, uh, in various ways. Uh, but again, scoring some fluky goals off of goalkeeper errors and a penalty against two teams that were due for some defensive regression. Not that impressive. If they put together a great performance against Wolves, I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. Uh, I'm glad we don't have to do the Derby County thing anymore because they were never that bad, Um, but they are still very bad. And I think their possession type play, I don't know if it'll be different under Dean Smith, but there's still going to be some Nigel Daniel Farca in the, in the system here. But that being said, Wolves ability to counter them, when Norwich loses the ball high up the pitch, Wolves' ability to press high will disrupt the Norwich patterns of possession. And at one point in the game last week, Norwich, or excuse me, Southampton had 13 shots, Norwich had one. Uh, so this game was not very even in the box score. It was kind of a fluke final. And I agree we can sell high on Norwich here and take it and make it three for three on Wolves. Ow. Brighton are plus 110 uh, home favorites against Leeds, plus 270. The draw is plus 250, 1230 kickoff on Saturday leads coming off a loss in which they blew a one nil lead to Spurs Brighton were the team that suffered the two nil defeat to Aston Villa. The Leeds offense is starting to come to life a little bit. They've created at least one and a half expected goals in three of their last four matches. Brighton, they have a negative expected goal differential on the season. Is that still enough to believe that this Leeds team can pull one over on Brighton BJ? Yeah, I do, because this is a fantastic match for Brighton, who are fantastic against pressure. And that's the biggest thing. How they've, you know, beaten Leeds in the past. They, you know, won both meetings against them last year. Uh, Brighton third in the Premier League in pressure success rate allowed and passes per defensive action. You know, it's obviously no surprise that uh, Marcelo Bielsa's side is, you know, first in passes per defensive action and uh, pressure success rate. But, you know, that's a lot of that is comes against teams that just you know, lower sides that aren't very good against pressure. Now the Brighton offense is nowhere near, you know, playing at the level it was last season. They're only averaging 0.94 non-penalty expected goals per match, but you know, they're facing a Leeds defense that allowed 2.24 expected goals to Tottenham and overall for the season are allowing 1.62 expected goals. So I think Brighton will be afforded a lot of open space behind the defense. Also Patrick Bamford, Ailing, Coke are out for this one. Also Rodrigo is questionable. So Leeds getting a little thin all around their uh, starting 11, but Brighton's defense is still playing at an elite level. They're seventh in non-penalty expected goals allowed, sixth in shots per 90 allowed, third in big scoring chances allowed, uh, which is huge because Leeds is 19th in big scoring chances created. So I think this is a fantastic match for Brighton uh, and how good they are versus the press. And also, you know, Brighton is, you know, a top four team in terms of pressing uh, where Leeds is 17th against pressure. So uh, I have Brighton projected at minus 104. So if you can find them at plus 110 or better at home, uh, I think there's some value on them to get all three points. Uh, there are some some lineup concerns for this one. And Anthony, you are waiting for those to come through before you make your play, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Leeds, 
Rafinha looks like he may be back, which helps their attack, but it looks like Luke Ayling, Robin Cock, and Patrick Bamford are all going to be out for this one again. Leeds looked very toothless in attack against Tottenham, especially after halftime when Spurs made some adjustments. Tottenham pretty much shut them out in the second half. There was very little going on there going forward. So I have questions about Leeds' ability to score on what's one of the best defenses in the Premier League in Brighton. And then going forward, I mean, Brighton don't have enough shots. And Potter's receiving a lot of criticism, a lot of stick uh, in the media for not starting Neil Malpe. He may make a return. I just don't really trust Brighton scoring goals right now the way that they have almost nobody to get shots. I mean, Trossard is not a true striker, a good enough striker, uh, and they don't have enough around him to kind of make up for that loss of shots. And w- what happened on in the Villa game is pretty much what I expected, which was a lot of possession in dangerous areas that led to not very many shots at both ends of the pitch until Ollie Watkins had one great moment and one great goal. Um, so I'm I'm passing here for now, but I'm leaning towards the under two and a half. We're going to wait to see what we get on lineups and then potentially make a move on the under. It's a fun schedule in the Premier League this weekend. A host of Sunday games, uh, including four at 9 a.m., which is a rarity. One of them, Manchester City, minus 320 against West Ham, who are 8-1. to one. The draws, plus 550. This is two of the top five defenses in the Premier League. City, the best team in the league, maybe the best team in the world. West Ham, one of the better teams in the Premier League this season, but they are coming off a loss to Wolves. I think uh, there is some value on the draw here. Plus 550 uh, is a big number for a draw. Betting a draw with an over under that's set pretty high as this one is, is not great betting hygiene, but I still think there will be some outliers. And I, I do think that this situation, it calls for it. Like, I mean, I don't, City is is, is a pretty slow moving beast uh, and West Ham will co- try to come into this game. And, and David Moyes is, is a manager who, who has no problems trying to set his team up to get the best possible result out of a, the matchup that they are facing. So I don't know if West Ham will play as open. They have been a pretty high event team this season, but I don't think that that style is going to be what we'll see on Sunday. They also will be missing Agbana, one of their, their center backs. So they could even set up more defensively to protect that hole as well. So I, I like the draw here, plus 550. BJ, you think this could be a pretty slow moving low event match as well, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, honestly, I was really looking forward to this match when I saw it on the schedule. And now that Ogbonna's out, uh, it kind of puts a huge blow in it for me because, you know, he is the one that sets up all of their buildup play. Uh, he has the most touches of any defender uh, for West Ham this season. So it's a big loss. And especially going against an offense like Manchester City, uh, it's not necessarily uh, good for West Ham since they have to play uh, Craig Dawson alongside Kurt Zuma. But, you know, the match against Liverpool. West Ham only held 32% possession, was able to hit Liverpool on the counter a few times uh, and hit, you know, uh, had a goal off of obviously off a corner. So, you know, you could see something similar to that. You know, it looks like there'll be no Jack Grealish or Kevin De Bruyne this this weekend as well, which is helps obviously for West Ham. Obviously, Manchester City has, you know, a lot of depth in their attacking midfielder ranks. But, um, you know, those are Manchester City's best, too. I'll be honest, it's really hard to poke holes in Manchester City right now. It's very, very difficult to find a lot of negatives with this team. The only thing I can say is, you know, they are somewhat struggling from years past without a true striker up top. They've obviously played very well and they've dominated a lot of teams. Uh, but West Ham is a very good defensive team. You know, they're they're top six in non-penalty expected goals. Uh, and this is going to be a better defense than they saw last weekend against Everton, who had to play uh, Michael Keane alongside uh, Ben Godfrey. So I only have 2.68 goals projected for this one. I'm going to be monitoring this over under. I'll honestly probably end up be playing three goals under three goals at plus money, but I want to see if maybe I can get a good price on under three and a half goals. Leicester City minus 165 
home favorites against Watford plus 425, the draw plus 330, another 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Claudio Ranieri comes back to the King Power Stadium where they should just, when, when he shows up with Watford, when he shows up on the touchline, that stadium should have a standing ovation for like 45 minutes just because I still think we underestimate just what happened when Leicester won the title you know, five or so years ago with Ranieri in charge. Watford cashed plus 550 for me against Manchester United uh, last weekend. This number should probably be a little bit higher on them, but a result like that will skew it. And I don't really think I'm in the business of uh, laying this kind of juice with uh, Leicester either. This is a team that it just drives me nuts because every time it looks like they're trending towards putting everything together, a part of their game kind of falls off the wagon. So I'm going to sit this one out. Anthony, are you going back to the Hornets? Yeah, definitely lean that way. I mean, they've played better the last few weeks since Ranieri's come in. I know, of course, they had the, the huge win that, that ended the Ole era. In, and, and, you know, and that was awesome. Uh, we don't know the status of uh, Ashmael Asar. He has to play for me to like Watford in this game. He's their best attacking player. He is excellent on the counterattack. And I really think that Leicester is vulnerable to these kind of teams. We saw what Crystal Palace is able to do to them to score uh, multiple goals here and kind of win the ball in the midfield and immediately break. Similar to how Leicester has, you know, lined up against the big teams and had success over the last few years. I think Watford can kind of, you know, do that to them. Uh, I lean towards Watford plus one, but I'm going to be waiting on injury news again on Saar because without him, their attack loses quite a bit of its luster. Uh, and defensively, like I mentioned with Leicester City, fifth fewest big scoring chances allowed sounds like a great number, and it is a great number. But when you look at all their other defensive numbers, I mean, they're 18th in shots allowed, 13th in non-penalty XG allowed, 13th in box entries, 14th in crosses allowed. But they're not, they're 19th in ball recoveries. They're not a good defense by almost any metric. And it almost feels like they might be even worse if they start conceding high quality chances, which Watford generally is good at getting with their uh, ability on the counter. And so that's where I think this is a vulnerable Leicester team here. But again, I hate the idea of selling low on Leicester after a four, three goal thrashing and buying a high on Watford after they just smashed Man United. So I'm probably going to end up passing here, but I lean towards Watford plus one. Burnley plus 270, home underdogs against Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur plus 100 uh, on the money line. The draws plus 265, another 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Conte got his first Premier League victory with Tottenham last weekend in a 2-1 win over Leeds. Uh, I don't really think they were particularly impressive. And that's, you know, Leeds is a team that will give up goals for fun. Burnley, by the way, also this season is giving up goals for fun. That's usually not the case. I think if I had to bet this match, I'd lean towards Burnley, but I'm going to wait to see if this number ticks up a little bit more. I think three to one would probably be where I got in. Uh, BJ, you believe in Sean Deitch and the Clarets this weekend, don't you? I do because I, like, I agree with you. I don't think Tottenham was impressive at all against Leeds last Sunday. Yeah. They got a deserving two, one win by expected goals, but Leeds held 57% possession. They outshot Tottenham 17 to 13 had 27 shot creating actions compared to only 19 for Tottenham and had more box entries. So it wasn't just this resounding dominant performance from Tottenham. And I still think that, you know, they're trying to learn to play under Antonio Conte's system. And this is honestly not a great spot for them because on Thursday they have traveled to Slovenia to play Murrah. Uh, in the Europa Conference League. And since they've been so bad this season, they actually have to take that match seriously and play all their starters because they're in danger of not even making it to the round of 16. So 
you know, Burnley hasn't been able to do anything from open play offensively this season. They're still, but they're seventh in big scoring chances and first in crosses completed into the 18 yard box. Uh, they've obviously, you know, created a ton of chances off of corners and set pieces. Tottenham, you know, has been decent against set pieces this season, you know, 0.1 XG per uh, set piece, but they have allowed three goals off of corners. Burnley is top three uh, in aerial duels one while Tottenham's bottom half of the table in that same category. Like you mentioned, Burnley's defense, uh, it's been terrible. Um, there's no denying that. They looked horrible uh, against Crystal Palace on the weekend but Tottenham's offense even though they have one of the best strikers in the Premier League they're still 16th in non-penalty expected goals per match 19th in shots per 90 15th in box entries Harry Kane once again didn't score on Sunday now that's one goal in 11 appearances and a 0.27 xg per 90 uh, minute scoring rate Tottenham also 12th in ball recoveries and Burnley's Ball recovery is allowed, and Burnley is fourth in ball recoveries. So I think the Clarets will be able to win the ball in the air, win the ball in the midfield a little bit here. Tottenham's just overpriced, and they're going to be overpriced with uh, Conte in charge for a while until they start playing his system very well and he gets the players that he wants in. Also, Christian Romero looks like he's going to be out for this one, so that's another Spurs defender that uh, is big, um, especially in a matchup like this against a physical team like Burnley. I only have Tottenham projected at plus 140, so I love Burnley plus half a goal at minus 105. The final... Premier League match on the docket for us. Brentford, the Bees, uh, plus 135 home favorites against Everton, plus 225. The draw is plus 235. It's been a, a really depressing couple of weeks to be an Everton fan if they haven't won a, a match in a very long time. And I don't really think it's going to happen against Brentford on the road, a team that is all energy. And Everton is the exact opposite of that. Uh, so I like Brentford here, plus 135, betting against my toffees uh but i I mean this is i think this is a pretty good number to go against a team that is just kind of circling the drain with a ton of injury issues damari gray is probably out now too uh you're gonna be seeing perhaps solomon rondon back atop to lead the line because dominic calvert lewin's still out yarimina has not played uh since their draw against manchester united which was the high point for this everton season and we probably overestimated that given what united's done since uh so buzz time for the bees anthony what about you I circled the spot on the calendar uh, a few weeks back during the international break when I was kind of looking through some situational spots and, and things I was going to be looking to absolutely hammer. And look, Brentford at home here, a team like you mentioned, who is number one in the league in ball recoveries against an attack in Everton and a team in Everton who has been very vulnerable on the ball, uh, who has succumbed to a lot of ball pressure throughout this season, who is down Richarlison, Mason Holgate, Decore, Calvert-Lewin, Mina, Tom Davies, Andre Gomez, and Damari Gray, all out. Um, they are absolutely decimated with injuries, and they do not have the squad depth. They're going to be starting a lot of B-level players, a lot of guys who are not Premier League uh, caliber players on Sunday morning. And look, Brentford's at home, and we've, we've touted this defensive regression and how it was coming, and it, and it has come. But they're still underrated generally as a team as a whole. They're in the top six in expected goal difference. Uh, and they've played enough games now where you can't just excuse certain things of, about what they're doing. Uh, you have to credit Thomas Frank for the job he's done. And you have to credit Brentford, who at home here has some injury concerns. I'm, I'm a little worried they may concede here, but I think they're going to absolutely roll. I think it's going to be an inspired first half. And I think they're going to get a comfortable lead and cruise to victory. It is my favorite play of the weekend, plus 130 on the money line. BJ, you're also playing this one, but in a different way. Yeah, I like over two and a half goals at plus 120. Anthony obviously mentioned all of the injuries. There's obviously a lot of injuries in the attack for Everton, but the I think the injuries in the defense are a lot uh, worse off for a team that 
is 11th in non-penalty expected goals allowed and 19th in big scoring chances allowed. And we've talked about it a lot. Brentford's offense is basically built on creating those big scoring chances. They already have 17 so far this season, uh, which is sixth in the Premier League. You know, Everton's offense, obviously they're going to be without Richarlison, but, you know, without Dominique Calvert-Lewin, they're still averaging, you know, 1.35 expected goals per match. They're still third in crosses completed in the 18-yard box and Brentford's defense uh, is dead last in uh, crosses allowed into their 18-yard box. So I do think Everton, you know, similar to the performance they had against Wolves on that Monday night where they were kind of decimated up front with injuries, but Wolves went up early. So then, you know, Everton had to come out of their 4-4-2 and actually play an open game. I think we'll see something similar to that if Brentford goes up early. I have 2.55 goals projected for this one. So at over two and a half goals at plus 120, uh, I do like that price. And that wraps up the Premier League portion of our program. Let's move on to Germany, the Bundesliga. We'll go each give out our favorite bet in the German top flight. I like Mainz, plus 140 against Stuttgart. This is a Friday, 2.30 p.m. kickoff. A team that we, we bet on quite a bit on the show, Mainz. A great, great defense, especially in a league where defense is optional. Uh, Stuttgart, on the other hand, not a great defense. And I think Mainz's offense will be able to uh, score and hopefully hold the lead on the road as a plus 140 favorite. BJ, what is your favorite bet in the Bundesliga this weekend? I'm going Bochum, Freiburg, over two and a half goals. Bochum, newly promoted team, has not been good defensively this season. They're allowing 1.92 expected goals per match. They're 11th in shots per 90, 15th in big scoring chances allowed, and 15th in box entries allowed. Freiburg, on the other hand, has had a resurgent season. They're currently sitting in third place. I know they just lost 2-0 to uh, Frankfurt this past weekend, uh, but they're still averaging 1.55 expected goals per match, uh, which is improvement from last season when they averaged 1.32. The thing about Freiburg is they've had the same manager for over a decade, which is really rare, uh, especially for a mid-table side in one of these top five leagues. Uh, They have a 3-4-3 system that they've played forever with a a front three that's been there for a long time. Uh, But when they play at a 3-4-3 this season, uh, it's been really high events. They're averaging 1.57 expected goals per 90 minutes. Uh, and allowing 1.69 XG per 90 minutes. So, you know, I think this is going to be a situation where they're going to be able to get at Bochum's defense, uh, but it is going to be pretty open. You know, Bochum hasn't been very good offensively. They're 13th in non-penalty expected goals, but Freiburg is 12th in shots allowed per 90. They're 14th in box entries allowed, and they're allowing 1.66 expected goals per match away from home this season. So I have one 2.94 goals projected for this one. So I like over two and a half goals at minus 110. Anthony, your favorite bet in the Bundesliga? Borussia Mönchengladbach on the money line, plus 135-140. It's time to back the Bach, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we had a terrible start. Full disclosure, I am a Gladbach fan. We had a, we had a terrible start to the campaign under Addy Hooter. We were really struggling early, got pummeled by Leverkusen, got beat by Union Berlin. It was a very sluggish start. They were in the bottom half of the table early on, but they've made some changes. Notably, Claudio Kone has been a revelation in the middle of the park. He's been excellent winning the ball. Passing forward, Florian Neuhaus is back in the side. Dennis Zakaria is healthy and looking like Dennis Zakaria, who had attention from a lot of the biggest clubs in Europe prior to his ACL injury that left him out for a year. And the return of Braille Embolo has livened up the attack, as well as Jonas Hoffman. Gladbach had a lot of guys, a lot of guys, playing the Euros, be it for Austria or Switzerland. Uh, had a couple of guys in the Germany team. All those teams made the knockout stage and had – at least one knockout game. So they were, they were running deep into July playing games. And so they had a slow start to the season, similar to a bunch of teams who have had guys who played in the Euros, but they are looking like one of the four best teams in Germany right now, attack wise, second in shots per 90, third in XG per 90, third in box entries going forward. And the defense 
has been the biggest improvement the second half of the season so far. Fourth best in XG per 90 allowed, fewest crosses allowed into the penalty area, which is huge against Cone, who may not have Anthony Modeste and is very reliant on crosses into Modeste to create a lot of chances. Gladbox also plus 550 to finish in the top four. That's a crazy number right now based on where they're in the standings, only three points out of fourth and better than Leverkusen, playing better than Freiburg, playing better than Hoffenheim. They have the second best XG difference in the Bundesliga. With Holland out, there's going to be a chance to make up some ground on the top four and get in there. I think it's wide open, and plus 550 is also worth a play. I fired on it yesterday. Moving on to Italy, Syria, uh, BJ. Yeah, I like Udinese, uh, minus 115 at home against Genoa. Udinese is underperforming their actual results, which is the same thing that happened last season. They're currently sitting in 15th place with a negative 0.1 non-penalty expected goal differential, which is actually 10th in Serie A. And they've had to play a gauntlet of a schedule so far this season. That has included Juventus, Roma, Napoli, Inter, and Atalanta. Even through all of that, 12 matches, for them to be sitting basically at an even uh, non-penalty expected goal differential is quite impressive. In their five matches against teams in the bottom half, the table. Udinese is 3-1-1, averaging 1.93 expected goals per match and only allowing 1.17. They're facing a Genoa side that's currently sitting in the relegation zone. Relegation zone, they deserve to be there with how bad their offense has been this season. They're only averaging 0.93 non-penalty expected goals per match, which is ranked 18th in big scoring chances, 15th in shots per 90, and 18th in box entries. Also, Genoa 19th in pressure success rate allowed, and Udinese pressures at the fourth highest rate in Serie A. And Genoa has a new manager. Do you guys know who it is? No, no. We saw him at the Euros. It's Andrea Shevchenko. Shevchenko, wow. yeah, is managing Genoa now. Uh, but uh, you know, so you may get a little bit of a new manager bounce. But um, it also looks like Genoa is going to be without their star striker, uh, Matteo Destro. Um, I have Udinese projected at minus one thirty-five, so I think there's some value on them at minus one fifteen at home to grab all three points. Anthony. Yeah, uh, this is the the pain train under uh, in Syria. Two teams who are underperforming and playing just wide open games with a ton of chances being created at both ends, but still both have regression coming at both ends. When we look at Sampdoria, for example, that this season, Sampdoria pretty mediocre defensively 18th in uh, XG allowed 16th in big scoring chances allowed. But that being said, they've created 13 expected goals and, and allowed 20. They've actually considered so about 33 ish goals expected they've actually had in their games this year 42 goals and when we look at verona same thing verona's offense has been carried by the son of diego simeone who has been on an unreal finishing run that will not be sustained or continued verona's a bit of a luck box going forward they stole another win uh this week on monday they're on the road now verona this season 17 expected goals 27 goals and then defensively 18 expected allowed uh, and at 22 allowed. So they're running cold at both ends of the pitch here. Neither offense is particularly good to exploit the weaknesses that the opposing defenses have. I think there's going to be a sleepy game under two and a half is even money. That's where I'm going here. My projection 2.36. And now we will travel to Spain, our favorite bets in La Liga. I like Sevilla in the game of the weekend. Uh, they're taking on Real Madrid, uh, top of the table clash here. I like to be on the money line plus 360. This is a Sunday, 3 p.m. kickoff. Uh, obviously, want to keep an eye on, on the Champions League matches just to make sure that the lineups don't get decimated. But this is an elite defensive side uh, for Sevilla. Real Madrid's defense is mediocre. I mean, obviously, we know what they can do going forward, but I think Sevilla can handle this uh, offense. And with this number, I think it's pretty hard to look away. So give me Sevilla and BJ. You're joining me, right? 
Yep. Uh, this is a key. Yeah, I love Sevilla plus half a goal. This is uh, the key point about this one is Real Madrid price points. They're currently at minus 145. And I do think they're overvalued against a Sevilla team that honestly played them very well last year. They lost the home leg 1-0, but drew Real Madrid 2-2 uh, in the other leg. And the expected goals battle was pretty even over those two legs. Sevilla, like you mentioned, elite defensive team through 13 matches, only allowing 0.73 non-penalty expected goals per match. They're second in shots per 90 allowed and second in big scoring chances allowed. Real Madrid, obviously, they're due for some offensive regression. They're still the number one, you know, offensive team in Spain by pretty much every single metric that we look at. But this is not a great spot for them, especially given the fact, like you mentioned, they haven't been good defensively, uh, allowing 1.16 expected goals per match, which is 14th in a low scoring league like La Liga. They're also 12th in shots per 90 allowed and 12th in big scoring chances allowed. Real Madrid has to travel to, to Tiraspol um, on Wednesday to play a Champions League against uh, FC Sheriff. Sevilla gets to play on Tuesday at home. So it's a lot of travel for Real Madrid, uh, having to travel to Moldova and back. I only have Real Madrid projected at plus 111. So I, I agree with you, Michael. Uh, I do think there's some value on Sevilla at plus half a goal at plus 120. Anthony? Yeah, I have to give credit to uh, Case Van Hemmen on Twitter. Uh, great football analytics guy. He tweeted out a chart today. Uh, the two biggest XG overperformers in all of Europe, Vinicius Jr., Karim Benzema. Uh, and look, they're both good players, but they're not going to sustain the current finishing level they uh, have been at recently. I will also be on Sevilla. But my play of the weekend, Javi's Barcelona. Draw no bet, minus 110 at Villarreal. Just an absurd overreaction to recent form because of Barcelona's dip and how they've been very unimpressive. My number, my, minus 122. Finally built out some La Liga projections. BJ, you'll be very proud of me. Uh, but minus 122 there. Uh, Barca's a much better team when you look at XG difference. I know they have problems out of possession, but they're going to dominate the possession here. They're going to be able to pen Villarreal in. And as good as Dan Juma has been going forward for the Yellow Submarine, they have uh, a difficult Champions League game, which is going on right now. Whereas I think Barcelona is going to be able to coast here against Benfica. Uh, and so I think it's, it's a good time to buy low on Barcelona. Finally think they break out here and get a big win on the road. The first significant win of the Chavi era. League on BJ's favorite time of the show. He uh, usually gives us his favorite play in the French top flight. This week, though, Anthony is joining the party. So we'll let Anthony start us off. Yeah, Saint Etienne plus one and a half goals. They're at the bottom or near the bottom in a relegation battle, but they're not really the talent or the expected numbers of a team you'd expect to be in the relegation battle. They can cause defensive issues for PSG disrupting their patterns of play. And look, PSG has looked terrible, terrible in build up when you watch their, their games. Uh, as I, I watched the Nats game, they played last weekend, you know, the players get way too far apart. They rely on individuals beating other individuals. There's no coherent system. Um, and Pochino might be out the door. Uh, there's rumors that he's the top man, the top target for Manchester United. The dressing room has had issues for a while now. A lot of drama going on at PSG. I do not want to be a part of them. And I understand, I think they're going to get their breaks beaten off by City on Wednesday. You'd say, oh, it's a bounce back spot. But if with all the turmoil going on with Pochettino's job in doubt, his future in doubt, him looking to get out of the club, I'm not sure there's going to be a response for PSG at the weekend. And so I think Sid Etienne plus one and a half goals. I think they'll be able to keep this close, maybe steal a result, if not lose by one. Uh, but I think PSG overvalued yet again. BJ? 
Yeah, PSG has an 11-point lead in league on, so th- you wouldn't be surprised if they just don't take that match seriously at all. But I love um, one of my favorite teams in Europe, Lens, minus 115 uh, against Angers. Lens, their wagon. Like, I know they just lost 4 nothing to Stade Bressois, uh, on the weekend, but that's maybe one of the funniest box scores you'll ever look at. Stade Bressois had four goals off of 0.47 expected goals and lost the XG battle 0.96 to 1.72. So uh, completely fluky uh, loss for Lens uh, this season. They have the second best uh, non-penalty expected goal differential in France at 11.23 behind only PSG, and that's because they're playing at an elite level at both ends of the pitch. They're third in non-penalty expected goals for averaging 1.91 per match. They rank second in shots per nine and second in big scoring chances. Now this Angers team that they're playing is very good defensively. They're fifth in non-penalty expectables allowed, second in shots per 90, and second in big scoring chances, but they've provided nothing going forward, especially in, in open play. Only 11.57 expected goals from open play in 14 matches. They're also 19th in shots per 90, 17th in box entries, and 17th in crosses completed in the 18-yard box, while Lens is fourth in non-penalty expectables allowed, first in big scoring chances allowed, third in box entries allowed, and first in crosses completed into their own 18 yard box. So I really don't know how Angers is going to create anything of substance offensively. I have lens projected at minus 138. So I think there's some value on them at minus 115 at home. All right, we'll move on to our favorite part of the program. This is where I warn you, these bets are not for the faint of heart. Our three-leg money line underdog parlay from across all of Europe's top divisions. I like Sevilla plus 360 taking on Real Madrid on Sunday at 3 p.m. The Sevilla team is really, really good. Uh, Their defense is terrific, so I do think that they will be able to handle Madrid's star-studded offense. So give me Sevilla plus 360 to kick this parlay off. Anthony, where are you taking us? Yeah, my my projections make this game damn near a pick. Empoli at home against Fiorentina, plus 210. Let me read off Fiorentina's away matches this season. I know BJ is is nodding his head in agreement because he's been following Fiorentina around the country, while Firenze... 3-1 3-1 loss to Roma, dominated on XG. 2-1 win against Atalanta. Both goals were penalties. Uh, 2-1 win against Genoa, with a penalty included, when the game was even on expected goals. They had a 1-0 win against Udinese, which was quite lucky. They lost away at Venezia 1-0. They lost away at Lazio 1-0. They lost away at Juventus 1-0. Did not play well in any of those matches. Failed to create over 0.6 expected goals in any of those matches. Fiorentina's attack should be better than it is, so I think they might be improving eventually. Uh, the underlying numbers are not that bad, but overall they're not creating a lot of chances, not getting a lot of shots. Dusan Vlahovic apparently wants out, uh, and I want no part of Fiorentina. And so Empoli at home, good sell-high spot. Fiorentina had a big win against Milan at home, again, overperforming their expected goals. So I'm going to be on Empoli plus 2-10. BJ, bring it home. Yeah, Empoli is just music to my ears, but I'll go Burnley. Plus 270 at home against Tottenham. Not a great spot for Tottenham coming off of a Europa Conference League match that they have to take seriously in Slovenia on Thursday. Their 2-1 win over Leeds was not impressive this past weekend. You know, Leeds pretty much won the box score in that one. Burnley offensively hasn't really been creating much from open play, but they're very good off of corners. They're very good off of set pieces. They're still ninth or seventh in the Premier League in big scoring chances. Tottenham pretty average. Uh, against set pieces, Burnley top three, obviously, again in aerial duels. 
uh, while Tottenham is bottom half of the table in that Tottenham offensively, you know, they are going to improve, but as it stands today, they're still not a very good offensive team. Uh, 16th and non-penalty expected goals for match 19th and shots per 90. Harry Kane still only has one goal in 11 appearances. Um, and Tottenham is 12th in ball recoveries allowed. And while Burnley is fourth, so I do think Burnley will be able to win the ball in the air and win the ball in the middle of the pitch and pull off an upset at turf more. Uh, to potentially, hopefully, uh, save Sean Deitch for another season at plus 270. If you wrap all three of those teams together, Burnley, Empoli, and Sevilla, you're looking at a 52-1 to ticket. Maybe it'll win. Maybe it won't. Likely won't. All right, let's wrap this show up with our favorite Premier League bets for the Thanksgiving weekend. I will start, and I will go back to the well. Crystal Palace, plus 120, taking on Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, I think that this number could tick up because people will want to bet Aston Villa after Gerard got the win over Brighton in his debut with the club. So you might see an, a narrative boost on the price for Crystal Palace as we get closer to kickoff uh, this weekend. This Palace team, third best expected goals against in the Premier League, fifth best expected goal differential uh, per 90. They are playing like a top six club. And I don't think they're priced like a top six club at home. So give me Crystal Palace plus 120. BJ, what's your favorite EPL bet this weekend? Yeah, I love Wolves plus 115 on the road at Norwich. It's crazy that we're saying it, but this is a sell-high spot for Norwich, who have won two in a row, but have lost the expected goals battle, a combined 3.4 to 1.9 against Southampton and Brentford. This is still one of the worst defensive teams in the Premier League. They're bottom three in pretty much every single defensive metric that we look at. They're allowing 1.78 expected goals per match. And this is a Wolves team that can just shred you in transition. And that is also really good versus pressure. Norwich offensively, they're dead last in uh, non-penalty expected goals for shots per 90, big scoring chances, and a lot of other metrics. Dean Smith, uh, obviously, you know, is the new manager. There's a little bit of a new manager bump, but this Wolves defense, you know, they're built on not allowing any big scoring chances. They're second in the Premier League in that category. Uh, they're still top 10 in non-penalty expected goals. I have Wolves projected at minus 109. Uh, I think this price is a little crazy. I think Wolves should definitely not be plus money on the road against one of the worst teams in the Premier League. So, Give me Bruno Lage's men at uh, plus 115 to grab all three points. And Anthony, uh, wrap up the show, please. Yeah, Brentford at home, plus 130 against Everton. I already read off the Everton injury list, but I'm going to do it again. Calvert-Lewin is out. Holgate, Decore, Richarlison, Mina, Davies, Gomez, Gray. Almost half of their typical starting 11 and some of their reserves who would typically back up some of those starting guys are out. Brentford, number one in the Premier League in ball recoveries against an Everton team that has struggled against teams that apply pressure against them. We saw that a couple of weeks ago against Wolves when Wolves kind of played them off the park the first 45 minutes. I'm expecting Brentford to come out with an inspired effort here at home after a couple of disappointing performances in a row. The defensive regression still concerns me for Brentford, but I think attacking-wise, Tony and Embuemo are going to have their way with this backup Everton defense, and they're going to roll here, score multiple goals, and cruise to victory at home. And that will do it uh, for this week's episode of Wonder Goal. Uh, for Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham, I'm Michael Leboff. We will see you next week as we start to see some midweek Premier League matches. Boy, is that exciting. And then we get into the festive fixtures. Once again, please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you do leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, you put in your Twitter handle and you automatically be entered into a contest to win a soccer jersey of your choice. That contest will wrap up at the end of the month, so be sure to do it uh, before it's too late. Good luck on your bets, ladies and gentlemen.